0: So Retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History?
1: Well, on Tuesday, we head to the battlefields of medieval Spain to witness the very first ambulance.
0: On Wednesday, it's the anniversary of the day Coca-Cola's creator hit on his winning formula. He dropped the wine, but kept the cocaine.
1: On Thursday, the thief who stuffed the crown jewels down his trousers.
0: And on Friday, when free-spirited Danish parenting put 90s New York in a tears. We discuss this and more on Today in History with the Retrospectors. Ten minutes every
2: Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
0: Hello, man fans. Ollie Man here with The Modern Man. And thank you, everybody, for your overwhelming feedback about Ollie Peart's billboard in Slough. Sadly, I don't think any of you actually saw it in person. Uh, But those of you who checked it out online at facebook.com slash ollieman were stunned by its magnitude, clearly, because you've uh, flooded us with feedback. Uh, Tom tweeted at The Modern Man to say, for some reason, I'd imagine the billboard to be about the size of a bus stop one, but it was mahoosive. Glenn tweeted simply, Ollie, this brought joy to my afternoon. Uh, Nozzy said, this is truly wonderful. And uh, Stephen said, that billboard... Uh, opposite Europe's largest Tesco, is exactly the location of my old school. Could I ever have imagined a glorious scene like that? Uh, Who could, Stephen? Who could? Not the people of Slough, that's for sure. I don't know why this particular challenge has resonated so much with you all, but I'm glad it did. If you have a suggestion of a future challenge for Ollie Peart to try out, uh, please do suggest it via the feedback page on our website, uh, modernmanwithtwoends.co.uk. We're always open to ideas. Remember, it's supposed to be about testing Ollie with trends, but obviously I do personally enjoy it if there's a touch of humiliation or physical danger involved as well. Uh, right, uh, on to uh, this week's show... Hopefully you will have noted the intriguing title, uh, the meaning of which will become clearer as the middle feature progresses. But uh, like many of my interviews, I don't really want to reveal too much about what's in it in this intro, because it's all about lived experience. It's one lady sharing her story and you sort of taking the journey with her. Uh, So the only thing I will say up front is it might make you think twice – before you ever chastise someone again for putting their feet up in a train carriage. Uh, Before we get going, though, big thanks to our sponsor this week, Harry's. They make super shaving products, but uh, don't take my word for it, because Alex Fox has sent me the following email. I've never been a come-as-you-are girl when it comes to my pubes. I see styling them as an extension of my own famously bold personal expression – and my current trademark is trimming my private privet into a fox's head shape. Christ. So, me and my bits were chuffed to bits to give Harry's razors a try. I always buy razors aimed at men over those marketed to women out of principle, because blades for blokes aren't hit by the so called pink tax, a markup that sees ladies paying more for everyday basics than men do for equivalent products. Their blades did a sterling job on my legs and armpits and were absolutely brilliant for a neat, smooth quim trim harry's shaving gel smelled of manliness in a good way it made my pubes smell of dudes the uh, distinctive writing style of Alex Fox, ladies and gentlemen uh, so uh, yes why don 't you get started shaving with harry 's today by claiming your trial set for three hundred and ninety five uh, you can support our podcast and get your trial set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five blade cartridge, foaming shave gel, and travel blade cover by going to harry 's dot com slash man right now that 's harry 's dot com slash M-A-N-N. And thanks again to them. And Harry's, I apologise for plugging your product in such a flagrantly vulgar fashion, but um, you know, I mean, if you get into podcast sponsorship it's it's par for the course, frankly. We're not fucking Classic FM. Uh, right, on this week's show, you will learn why you need to clean your rims. Uh, it's a bike thing. Uh, you'll learn what I learned from the Ottolengi Salad Cookbook, and you'll learn what deserting is, and why it may help you on your next date. Let's go. On this week's Modern Man. To be honest,
1: I couldn't imagine a different way of life. All I could imagine was fixing it.
0: How does it feel when you don't feel welcome in our vertical culture?
3: It is also possible to have a tantric quickie. And
0: Alex Fox breaks the Tinder trance to discover Urban Tantra. But first, all the trends you need to know about for the week ahead. It's the zeitgeist with a man who I've just seen unable to finish a salad. It's Ollie Pitt.
2: The size of that salad was, was huge. Ridiculous. It was massive.
0: It was a big salad. I'm only a little. <laughs> what are your trends for this week? Micro brands. Mm-hmm. We thought that
2: the massive brands would be taken over by other massive brands that would take over their business. Apple. Perhaps. But instead, what seems to be happening is that the the brands of the past are fighting against thousands upon thousands of micro brands that have a direct-to-consumer strategy. So what they're doing is they are marketing through social media channels. Uh They might only produce one or two products, but really, really well. And they have very few employees.
0: Isn't it just another way of saying artisan, bespoke Small, basically, manufacturer. We've always had those. I mean, are you a brand just because you'd use the internet now to sell in small volume?
2: But they're turning over tens of millions of dollars. They're making a lot of money because their marketing strategy is highly efficient. So it's reaching loads of people.
0: Is this basically Instagram?
2: Yeah. So like when you scroll through your Instagram feed, and you've definitely seen this, even if you don't use it that much, you'll see a post, and underneath the image will be like a, a bold coloured bar. The text will say "Learn more" or "Shop now," and the image will just be like be somebody wearing some really nice jeans, staring over a view, holding a cup of tea, and you're like, oh, that looks nice. I'm going to click the button. Learn well, what, more.
0: What am I buying? The the tea. Or- or the view probably the jeans right
2: but who knows but the point is is that they're super slickly designed products all of them so the imagery and this is why instagram is a fantastic place for these people to to engage with their audience just looks so super slick and super well designed basically it's all about the design it's all about the aesthetic and the thing is is that these brands are largely people you've never heard of. okay give us examples a live call. this is a tech brand and they uh, design and sell an electronic
0: ecg kit that's not an instagram audience i wouldn't have thought
2: well that's what's weird about it you look at like their oxygenarians
0: posts. want that <laughs> isn't it
2: <laughs> but it's super slick it's about monitoring your health and that's something that millennials love to do
0: my favorite youtube news blooper of 2017 oh, and yeah. I, it's fresh in my mind because i was watching this last night at midnight on my ipad when i couldn't sleep <laughs> was an australian newscaster who couldn't say fitbit and kept saying fitbitch it was amazing <laughs> So she said, like, there's been a craze for fit, bitch. So, uh, there's been a craze for fit, bitch. I've done it again. There's been a craze for fit, bitch. And she just kept doing it. Brilliant. And give us one other, then. Distilled, uh, but spelt. Of course, it's spelled like this. <laughs> D-S-T-
2: L-D. Oh, no. D-T-S-S-L-D. And do they just
0: sell water or do they sell like a filter? Clothes.
2: It's a fashion brand. Oh, okay. Yeah, but they've actually been going since 2014.
0: But the point is, can you launch one of these mini brands just through organic reach? Or do you have to have a big marketing budget in the first place to be able to create the kind of posts on Instagram that are going to go viral to make your product a success? In other words actually, were they always kind of mini companies to begin with rather than bedroom operations?
2: Well, the key, I think, is behind your imagery on Instagram because with Instagram, you can use your hashtags to reach a huge targeted audience. Mm. And if the imagery is right, then people will love it. You don't need a huge amount of money to do that. You just need a mobile phone and a bit of a brain behind you.
0: But at this point, I'd normally ask you for a second trend of the week, but you've come equipped with Tupperware today. Yeah. uh, Which leads me to think that um, our exploration into uh, recipe boxes... Uh, which you were commissioned to do by Manfan Alfie in Chicago, uh, might take some time. So let's get straight on with it. Okay. How many recipe boxes have you tested for us? Five. And which ones are they? HelloFresh, Gusto, Mindful Chef, Born and Bread, and Baked In. So HelloFresh is the most kind of generic general one, right? HelloFresh, Gusto's very similar. Do they have a... USP at all, like we use all organic food or anything, or just... No. No. Just general recipe boxes. General
2: recipe boxes. Yeah. So therefore, you know, professional couples that can't be asked to go shopping. I wish <laughs> that was the
0: tagline. It should be. HelloFresh, for professional couples that can't be asked to go shopping. Born and bred based in Yorkshire. All, all from about, farms in Yorkshire? Yeah,
2: like locally sourced produce, yeah. uh, all that kind of stuff. So quality ingredients. And then what was the other one you said? Baked in.
0: Right. Is that just like cookies and muffins
2: it so. is just cookies and muffins so it's slightly different but yeah. i thought oh, i'm gonna go a bit off piste are
0: you any good at baking
2: i don't think you can be shit at baking You're, you you could you either bake or you don't do you know what i mean
0: no i mean i don't because i think i would be shit it's
2: just like it's flour eggs sugar you mix it all up and you stick it in an oven
0: yeah it's kind of maths though isn't it that's basically why i don't bake
2: what? No, it isn't. Why is it maths?
0: Because it involves... Resi- like, Okay, so actually, recipe cards in general are things that don't appeal to me because I, my style of cooking, and I know this is going to sound like I'm a terrible cook, but I'm actually all right. Mm-hmm. My style of cooking is I will open the fridge, mm-hmm. see what I've got. Mm-hmm. I've put no planning into it at all. And I'll think, yeah, that'll go with that, that, and that. And I'll put these spices on it. It'll taste fine. And it does. I'm not excellent. Nothing I make is five stars, but everything's a solid three or four. Yep. Recipes, like in a book or on a card, in any form... I start making them and I somehow fuck them up and get angry at myself.
2: Yeah, interesting you say that, actually, because even with the baked in thing, I still messed it up, even though I just said that anybody can bake, and that's all pre-measured and i still got it wrong. <laughs> I think you've hit the nail on the head with the way that I think most people cook that way. They just open their cupboard and go, oh, what can I throw together? Chat <laughs> oh, in It tastes
0: all right. I'm an idiot savant.
2: Yeah, and you end up making twice as much as you need. Yes. It tastes like sort of salty slop, so it's fine. Yes. Yeah, yeah hey, you great. You nailed know. my style. And if you want to follow a recipe from a recipe book, you have to get the book out, figure out you're going to stand that up without getting all the crap over it. Then you have to get the stuff out and then you have to work out exactly what 150 grams worth of carrots looks like and then you have to slice all that up and it's really annoying it's irritating and I thought this was going to be a bit like that but I speak for all of these when I say the concept of having all of the ingredients pre-measured and pre-weighed out and organised into little packets even though I hate the fact that there's shit loads of plastic mm. and then following these instructions is incredible this is essentially flat pack furniture for food
0: okay that's good to hear because I sometimes you know if I'm watching Nigella or something I sometimes, You know when she'll just say, and put in a bit of this, and she'll... Put, put her, a bit of this, yeah.
2: pussy in a bit of this, <laughs>
0: and a little bit of that. And she puts her, like, dirty fingers that she's just been smearing all over her face or whatever. I don't know how you know they're dirty, but yeah. Uh, into, like, a glass bowl of coriander or something, but it's exactly the right amount of chopped coriander. And yeah. I always watch it, and I think, well, yeah, if I was you, I could cook that easily, but I've... Off camera, someone else has just chopped that exact amount yeah. of jarred and put it into a glass bowl. So, is it like being Nigella Lawson?
2: It's like being Nigella Lawson because yeah. you've got it, it eliminates that stress, and that's all gone. And the other thing, and again, goes for all of them, that I noticed immediately is there's no food waste. Oh, which that is, is good, brilliant. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't, you know, I didn't think about it when it first arrived, but the portions are the perfect size, so you've got portion control. So, if you are yeah. looking to lose weight or go on a diet, it's, it's probably quite a good thing to do.
0: So you were trying out recipes for two people, were you, for yourself and your other half? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, and you are a vegetarian. How easy was that in the drop-down box decision process?
2: I'm actually a pescatarian, so that made life a little bit easier, but the vegetarian options are really good. So on the first night, we had a HelloFresh dish, which was Vietnamese-style rice. And do you remember my little... Rice! Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I don't send off for a box to learn how to cook rice. Well, that's what I thought when I got this. I Your was a fucking bit like, Uncle Ben's for a pound. You get ready-made rice. Completely agree with you. Yeah, I was
2: exactly the same. And couldn't even be any I'd, more
0: convenient. Well,
2: I selected some stuff, and then their recipes changed, and then they sent me this one, and I was a bit like, oh, "Hang on a minute, I'm not sure I'd pay thirty-four ninety-nine for. Uh, is that how much it is for one recipe? No, that's for three. That's for three for two people, so six meals, thirty-four ninety-nine.
0: Right, equivalent to thirty-four packets of Uncle Ben's.
2: Exactly. Yeah, but so yeah. I thought. Well, I'll, I'll plough on. I'll go for it. The recipe card itself and the explanation is just really, really easy. So it, you can see on the back here, it's okay. got He's images. The recipe card. Yeah. Oh, you that's got nice. Im- images yeah. that
0: talks you through it. it. Does show you in very so, simple terms.
2: And when it arrives, it arrives in each separate bag. So my brief foray into veganism mm. involved me basically eating horrible food that I didn't like and feeling a little bit ill. That's a vegan meal, and frankly, it was. Delicious. Was it really? Really, really
0: good. Delicious. I,
2: I have one criticism.
0: Yeah.
2: It was slightly salty, and I've got some little notes on here. And my other half said, Pip said, she goes, uh, one of the tastiest vegan meals I've had. I don't feel like I'm missing out. Quite the accolade from someone who slags me off all the time.
0: Right. But you thought it was too salty.
2: But it was really nice. Okay. And you didn't feel like you'd missed out, even though it was essentially Uncle Ben's. What about gusto? So, with gusto, we had 10 min Thai prawn fried rice with greens.
0: Okay, because just the name suggests to me a bit more gastronomic and therefore creamy. I was immediately thinking, I bet everything's a bit creamy.
2: No. It's essentially the same as before, but with prawns. So you
0: feel like you're getting a bit more for your money. So both of them are stir fries, though, really. Yes. It's not difficult to cook a stir fry, is it?
2: Well, this said it takes 10 minutes. It says it's a 10 minute meal. Guessing the idea, you know, again, professional couple can't be asked to cook at home. Yeah. And again,. It was delicious.
0: Can you choose different levels of complexity, though? These are all the entry-level ones that you've done.
2: I haven't chosen entry-level for all of them, but yes, you can choose different complexities. You can say, I want one that takes 40 minutes. Well, you could yes. So with HelloFresh, you can choose to have a uh, a quick box, or just a normal box. A normal box, some of the meals will take like 40 minutes, 45 minutes. With the quick box, they take, all of them are less than 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the simple ones for Gusto. This is a 10-minute meal. Again, with all of them, you'll get to a point, and you'll think, that's not right i'm used to just sucking this shit in also that's not enough of that that's i'd put more of that in Mm. no follow the card don't deviate from the card do not deviate what you are paying for the reason they're so expensive you are paying for a professional chef who has figured it all out Mm. it's just you're assembling it that's why i said it's like i'm actually a bit
0: jealous of you for doing this task because i'd quite like to eat delicious things
2: yeah just one more thing on the gusto also ever so slightly too salty
0: oh really yeah
2: nice delicious actually Slightly too salty. Don't See, know they've doing. obviously...
0: Well, you said that a chef has worked it all out, but maybe a chef's worked out the British public likes salty things.
2: Well, yeah, rich, salty things in a restaurant. That's what yeah. you go there for, isn't it?
0: Okay, so that's Gusto and HelloFresh. Good experiences so far. You mentioned the baking one briefly. You said you did screw it up. Was that their fault? The instruction
2: that I got wrong, and actually broadcast live on Twitter for anybody that saw it, was um, melting the white chocolate. Mm. And it said, whilst the biscuits are cooling, prepare the filling... In a small bowl, cover the white chocolate bag, bag five, with boiling water and leave to melt for five minutes. Now I'm thinking, all right, cut open the bag, pour the chocolate in, pour boiling water straight over the chocolate. No, mm. because all you've got then is watery chocolate supposed to melt it in the bag. Moron. So I fashioned uh, my own little ganache based on sort of uh, multiple episodes of Bake Off that I'd seen.
0: But is there a picture of someone melting the chocolate properly that you just disregarded or not?
2: I would say that the picture is very limited in its description. Look, there it is. Look, see. Fine.
0: I mean, yes, maybe you are a moron, but it's designed for morons, isn't it? Mm. So maybe they failed there. And... For
2: you, Ollie Man, because it's one of the few meals that I could actually bring with me. I have a sample here. Would you like to try some? Yes.
0: We've just been out for big salad. We haven't had pudding.
2: Now, make sure you get one with ganache, because I didn't make enough ganache. He's eating.
0: Okay, so it's squishy, mm. and it's moist. So it's yeah. like a brownie with a filling, basically. Yes. And it's ever so slightly burned, but not necessarily in a bad way. Just in a, It feels, if I'm been critical, like it's probably been in the oven a few minutes too long. But that gives it a homemade feel, which isn't a bad thing in a homemade baked good, I feel. Do you
2: like the
4: ganache?
0: I like the ganache.
2: I might supply baked in with my recipe then. Um. (laughs) Chocolate and butter, if you're wondering. Right, yeah. How was the Yorkshire one? Ah, okay, so the Yorkshire one. Let's just lean down here. So I had baked hake on a julienne of cucumber and courgette with chantonet, carrots and new potatoes. That
0: sounds more like it. Uh, Better than rice. Looks very sophisticated. It does, yeah. Very sophisticated indeed. Although a julienne of cucumber turns out to be some chopped cucumber. I I could have done that without getting a recipe box.
2: I kind of felt a little bit like that. So when I got it, I was like, well, you know, that's just courgette and cucumber. What are you doing that I'm not? Am I being cheated? Mm. It arrives, by the way, all the meat and the fish and stuff like that, it all comes in a bag with wool. And then it's got ice blocks in the bag. Oh, right, So I think it can stay out for like 24 hours, something like that, and it's probably okay. So if it gets left on your doorstep, it's kind of okay. bit
0: wasteful, though, as well, isn't it, Of the wool, really?
2: You can recycle it, so then it goes back. So if you're on a subscription, they pick it up with the next one. Okay. Yeah. So with this one, and they also supply, which I really liked, the foil and the baking paper that was required to cook this one. Because it was en papillote.
0: That really is for idiots, isn't it? I liked
2: it. So really easy to follow instructions again. Meal. Tasted very good, very fresh, very healthy. This one, I hate to say this because the guy was so lovely on the phone.
0: Not salty enough? Yeah. <laughs> oh, seriously? Yeah. It, 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 it. But do you know what? Like, I think like, you've just got a weird like salt no, imbalance. No, 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 no. I, just I think, think you have an iron deficiency just, and you're just blaming it on the food. Possibly.
2: And also, the quality of the ingredients was brilliant. Noticeably
0: was, better than the others?
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it was, especially with the veg.
0: Okay, so there's one other one you haven't talked about.
2: So Mindful Chef are all about healthy eating and, uh, well, here we go. This uh, thing that I cooked, which was a spinach falafel with zingy kale salad, I actually cooked them for the weekend and the salad, and I took it for a picnic by the beach.
0: And? delicious yes absolutely and loved it i've never made falafel actually so mm-hmm. that is something that i'd feel like i'd done something good so easy i'll yeah. tell you the other thing but would you now make it without the recipe card yeah they you know how to make it well
2: that's it like and a lot a lot of them yeah. so you learn little, little tips as you're cooking you think i didn't know you i think, could do that yeah, i
0: could get that from tesco
2: did you know for example i mean obviously you can but did you know it was any good eating kale raw oh i'm just gonna go out for a bag of kale. <laughs> you pull it down, down. you would have
0: would you no, no. I, I'm just trying to think if I've ever had it in a salad, but it's always like ever so slightly wilted. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Delicious. Is it?
2: Oh, it's sublime. It's so good. It, like genuinely, it's so good. Raw I will now look at raw kale in the supermarket Actually, and be like, I'm having that.
0: You know something I learned from the Ottolenghi Salad Cookbook. Oh yeah, go on. Raw asparagus
2: Ooh.
0: in a summer salad. Delicious. Has to be very thinly chopped. Obviously. Gonna say yeah. Very good. Also
2: in season, I would imagine.
0: Uh, Yes, probably now is the time to go and make your raw asparagus salad. Why not? Yeah. Okay, so that's all five then. So, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, luckily we are not Witch Magazine. But if you had to now impartially, objectively, journalistically, rigorously assess, which is the best? Gusto. Gusto? Yeah. Why? Affordability. Yeah.
2: They are the best price. And the quality of the food is still very, very good. And it's really easy to follow. And I can prove it to you. Because I've got a meal here that I've cooked from the box for you to try. Oh, look at that. Quite a lot of it as well, because that's for two people. (laughs) That is a proper Tupperware full of stuff. This is Chinese-style tofu and red pepper chow mein. I'm actually
0: staying at my mum's tonight. Can I take this? Yeah, of course, yeah. I haven't got a fork. I'm just going to use my fingers. You go for it. I mean... These are noodles. Cold noodles. Yeah, I know, I know. It's all right. Is that it? Yeah. Well, no, let me try the tofu.
2: Yeah, try the tofu, because that's like the main, main deal. Yeah, that's nice. See, that's odd because most people don't like tofu. I don't
0: like tofu, but that go. is nice. Yeah, see? Close your eyes and it could be shit chicken. <laughs> um, well, well done on completing your challenge, Ollie. <laughs> Let's see what we've got in the digital envelope for next week's challenge. I'm excited. Ollie Pitt, here's the digital envelope. What does it say? Thank you very
2: much. It says, from Charlie, who says, I'd like Ollie to try his hand at a spoken word night. This is partly because they're growing in popularity in the country but also because I run one in Brixton.
0: Do you know much about spoken word, Ollie? Uh, Ironically silent on this.
2: Yeah, it's like those Nationwide ads, yeah? (laughs)
0: Yeah, slightly, yeah. Underwhelming cabaret. Yeah, Yeah, it's a bit like that. It's basically So it's like sometimes it's poetry, I think. Sometimes it's people talking about their lives. Sometimes it's like a stand-up comedy who's not like really funny, but is a bit sort of bits of pathos, bit of real life. Yeah. Sometimes people reading embarrassing things out of their diary. Uh, Anyway, you're going to find out more because we checked with Charlie and it just so happens, Ollie, that there is a spoken word event. Tonight, you have uh, three and a half hours to prepare. I've got to d- for your first gig at a spoken word event, yes, you're on the bill tonight in Brixton. How long have how long have I got to be on stage? I'd feel cheated in the audience if I didn't get at least ten minutes, wouldn't you? Ten
2: minutes <laughs> I'm just
0: saying. I'm not doing ten I minutes. Mean- <laughs> you spring at me like
2: that. I've got to go from here. I've lit
0: Yeah. Okay. How are you getting to Brixton? You're staying with your sister, where's that? Mitcham. Mitcham, yeah. And then
2: probably just drive there.
0: Yeah. And- so the whole way whilst you trying to find a parking I'll Just space- describe it just describe it. that's oh, all it is great, I'd just be like be a brilliant spoken drive word event, man. man describes a trip
2: to Brixton worried about my car outside might get nicked yeah. hire car
0: has it got a rhyme spoken word um, well I'm not sure that did
2: no it didn't that's no, why freeform. I questioned
0: it yeah beat poetry yeah why not do it I don't know Ollie you're going to find out that's the format I'm, a, I'm quite nervous have a great time thank you and uh, we'll find out how you got on next week goodbye
4: Hello man fans, I'm Jenny Gwizdowski, the director of the London Bike Kitchen, we're a DIY bike workshop and these are my life hacks on how to keep your bike happy. Tip number one, pump your tires up. Keeping your tires pumped will help prevent punctures, they'll protect your rims and make for a more comfortable ride. You want to keep them pumped up to their recommended tire pressure. This is written on the sidewall of your tire, and it'll say something like 80 psi or 4 bar. Both of these are correct, they just come from different measurement systems. And while you're at it, invest in a truck pump with a gauge so you know exactly how much you're pumping up to, and do this once a month. Tip number two, clean your chain. Please, for the love of God, clean your chain. Use a dedicated bike chain cleaner or even just rubbing alcohol. I wouldn't use washing up liquid because there's always there's a lot of controversy online as to whether or not this is actually okay for your chain at all. One way you can do this is use two old toothbrushes, face the heads towards each other like they're kissing and tie a rubber band around the bottom and you can use the brush bit to clean the top and the bottom of the chain links Um, and if you want to sneak your bike into the shower just don't tell anyone I won't tell anyone. Tip number three last but not least clean your rims all that dirt and gunk from the road builds up on your rims and every time you break that crap is grinding itself in wearing the rim down faster so just grab an old t-shirt and wipe them down once a month with some warm water And while you're down there, make sure your brake pads still have some life left in them by checking if their grooves, they kind of have these teeth grooves in them, are still visible. If they're flat, then you need to change them ASAP. If you want to learn more about your bike, visit lbk.org.uk. If you like bikes and podcasts, I'm one half of the Wheel Suckers podcast, and you can check out my new book, How to Build a Bike.
0: Before I met today's guest, Raquel Messager, I felt obliged to ask whether she would rather talk to me sitting down, or standing up, or lying down. I was also sure to ask whether the 40 minutes that I'd put aside for our interview was too long for her. I wanted to check if she'd already done some stretches that morning, before we started talking. Now, this is not my usual interview checklist, but movement and stillness is important to Raquel ever since she was a kid there was only one thing she always wanted to do
1: as far as I remember I've just always danced where we lived in London there was a hotel across the road that used to have a New Year's Eve party every year and I just remember being on the dance floor all the time and my parents having to like drag me off the dance floor I just loved moving it's the way the world makes sense to me it doesn't really make sense to me when I can't
0: move And so how much thought did you give it becoming a professional dancer?
1: That was actually a total accident. I danced when I was younger and I did kind of ballet and tap and modern, as you tend to do if you're a young girl. When I was 12, I think I discovered boys and the discipline of the dance classes kind of fell away. And at Bristol University, I started dancing again. And then when I dropped out of of my history degree, because it really, really didn't suit me, I was dancing with some local dancers and we were sort of doing semi-professional kind of performances and then one of them moved to London and she got in touch and said this school London Contemporary is becoming a conservatoire Uh, you don't have to pay fees anymore because before that it was £9,000 a year to study dance so I was lucky enough to get a place at London Contemporary and to do a three-year degree in contemporary dance which was amazing i started a co-founded dance company called lost dog while i was there which is still going strong doing really well we opened a show in february the biggest stage i ever danced on was hanover opera and that stage was incredible i mean it was huge those vast opera sets so behind the stage you've got like this a whole other stage where they store the sets it's it's vast and when we were on the stage warming up, waiting to do the show, we were behind this very thick fire safety curtain. And then when the when the curtain went up and people were still talking before the lights went down, it was like a cacophony. It was so loud. There were so many people in that opera house. I was quite shocked. But that was probably one of the heights, one of the highlights, yeah, of being a dancer.
0: I mean, did you ever imagine not dancing?
1: no. I felt blessed like I'd like won a very rare golden ticket to be able to go to study it in the first place and then to get to actually be paid to do it uh, was incredible and I never thought it would happen but once I had started dancing I yeah I hoped that that would be my future for at least the next 10 years
0: and then one day you started feeling pain
1: I started feeling a twinge in my back in particular lifts so in a fireman's lift which is quite a common move in contact improvisation you might be lifted on someone's shoulder while your chest is falling down their back that kind of a lift suddenly every time I did that I was in pain quite sharp pain and had to come out of it quite quickly and I was finding it more and more difficult to take weight.
0: And when that happened, mm. it was in a rehearsal studio, was not it?
1: Yeah, a rehearsal process during the day. It was part of a warm up.
0: I mean, I know everything that I know about dancing from, you know, Black Swan and a chorus line, basically. <laughs> <laughs> but from what I understand, even with a chronic pain for a short time, dancers mm. will continue dancing through the pain.
1: I mean, the whole discipline and the whole way you work your body, you are pushing on the on the edge of pain the mm. whole time. Mm. What you put your body through every day is it's painful the just started getting worse and it started getting to the point at that point I was working on a show and it got to the point where lying down generally contemporary dance warm-up the first thing you'll do as a company in the morning is all lie down together uh-huh. and then someone will lead a warm-up just lying down on the floor the very first thing I would normally be in so much pain that I'd be crying and just trying to hide that I was crying yeah. and then as you do in companies rightly or wrongly what my colleagues would do is kind of mask me for the warm up so give me time and space so uh, one one very good friend of mine that I was working with at the time would generally dance around me so that to to anybody else it would look like we were duetting but actually he was doing most of the moving and I was conserving myself for the rest of the the rehearsal day it would be awful in the mornings and I'd think oh, there's no way I can dance today and then I'd slowly warm up which is I think is quite a common pattern for people and then I'd be okay I'd kind of manage the day but it wasn't it definitely wasn't right and it I mean it definitely wasn't right to be crying all the way through a warm-up I was quite desperate at that point and somebody recommended a chiropractor that treated footballers that was quite famous for treating footballers and they knew them personally so on a recommendation I got an appointment with him and He was an incredibly arrogant practitioner and did a huge manoeuvre on me and 24 hours later I had the symptoms which are now recognised as chronic neuropathic pain, burning, shooting pains in my feet and legs. It was a day after that manipulation that I was in a rehearsal with a friend and we were trying to create this duet in this living room. And I just couldn't shake these pins and needles on my feet. I kept kind of shaking it, stretching it i couldn't i couldn't shake and then it started burning I just couldn't shake it didn't really understand what it was. so I called my osteopath that evening and he just said, "Whoa, we've got a call cool time now you've just got to stop those are those are different kind of symptoms to normal pain or aches. You have to get that checked out and so i was i Stop dancing. I had to withdraw from the rehearsal process. Go and get a scan. The scan confirmed that I had a slip disc. Oh wow! And then it it just felt like the whole the whole thing just kind you didn't of didn't
0: know you had a slip disc. No, but very, mean, a slip disc is a big deal.
1: Well, it is and it isn't because from all the research that I've done since and all the the specialists that I've spoken to, if you if you MRI'd half the people in the street that didn't have pain. A lot of them would have slip discs. So is
0: it only painful when it hits the nerve or something?
1: It's only painful in certain instances. They don't know why. Okay. Yeah. It seemed like this was trapping a nerve and that's and that's what was causing the sensations.
0: Okay. So at this time, obviously, you're disappointed you've had to pull out of this latest project yeah, and yeah. you're thinking there's a warning signal here, but you, I guess you are thinking I can treat this and go back to work.
1: I've been told it will pass in six weeks. I've right. been told all you need to do is like you need to swim. You need to do these rehab exercises. You need to keep moving, but take a take a bit of a break. So I was told six weeks. Six weeks became three months, became six months, became 12 months. And In pain? In pain, the whole time.
0: Hey, so, so, yeah. And when you say words like chronic and the yeah. whole t- do you literally yeah. mean all the hours you're awake?
1: I literally mean all the hours I'm awake.
0: And it's a pins and needles, but more intense? It's a pins and needles,
1: but a kind of burning pins and needles. And what... I mean, I can quote a collaborator of ours, Dr. Chris Eccleston, because he, when he says that pain, it interrupts and it disrupts, that's what it's designed to do. So the symptoms in themselves are not huge. I wouldn't put them on 10 out of 10 on a scale, but they are constant. So they just wear you down. Mm. And during a day, it feels like it just becomes an overload of sensations on my whole nervous system with the pain interrupting, interrupting, interrupting everything that I try to focus on until I have to rest and reset the levels. And then I can focus again, or then I can have enough resources to be able to exist through the interruptions and the disruptions for another two hours, maybe an hour.
0: So a year into this,
1: A year into this, I'm pretty desperate. If I like zoomed out, I'm like running all over London, trying to figure out how to manage it, talking to different specialists. Some people have said had surgery.
0: Some people have said don't have surgery. So how old are you at this point? I'm 30. And you're thinking about back surgery?
1: Yeah, very seriously.
0: I mean, my mum's just had back surgery and Mm. she's double that age. Yeah. And even at her age, people were saying, you know, you do realise there's a chance that this could be completely debilitating. You might have to spend the rest of your life in a wheelchair. Yeah. What were you thinking?
1: Uh I was just thinking I want my life back. You know, when I had stopped dancing I lost my community, my practice, my income, my peer group, everything in one go and I found myself incredibly isolated, which is what happens to a lot of people with chronic pain. Uh, to be honest, I couldn't imagine a different way of life. All I could imagine was fixing it and getting back to where I was or picking up where I'd left off. I couldn't imagine doing anything different.
0: In your heart, did you Mm. think there must be a chance I'm not going to dance again with this? Or were you just completely blinded by the fact that dancing was your life and you were going to dance again?
1: I think I was completely blinded by Western medicine thinking that we, and that classic model of find it, fix it, that we have and the way we think of the body as a bit of a machine. Mm. To me, the only way it made sense to me was I have these symptoms, there must be something mechanical going on. The disc must be pressing on the nerve, even though a couple of specialists looked at it and said, well, it's inconclusive whether it is actually touching the, the, the nerve or not. Even then, I couldn't understand why it was happening if there wasn't a cause. So even though I was terrified of the, of the surgery, um, I thought, what is the alternative? Mm. So yeah, so a, a year, I think 18 months after it started, I had, I had surgery. And I woke up and uh, there was no change
0: in symptoms. You knew that the moment you woke up?
1: I woke up and there was no change in symptoms and I panicked. They said, you know, don't worry, it can take a few weeks for the symptoms to resolve. But they they never resolved. So so. from
0: the moment you came out of surgery, you said you had that same pins and needles feeling? Yeah, the same. Oh, that must have been devastating. I mean, all the physios coming in and saying, we're going to make you better, and you thinking, no, you, you won't.
1: Yeah, it was heartbreaking. I was I was bereft. I was lost. I was like, okay, if this doesn't work, what do I do now? You know, what on earth do I do? And the advice at the time that I was given from the people that, that were treating me was you need to stay mobile for as long as you can so they they'd already put me on certain um, medication so the advice was to continue on that medication on a, what i now know is a really high dose of that mes- medication It's like the maximum dose and keep dancing and so i tried to but i didn't feel creative anymore I I spent my whole time in the rehearsal process trying to manage the symptoms and worrying about whether they're getting worse or not. And what I understand about pain models now is that constant focusing on the pain, has it gone or not, can it in itself set up a pain loop that then the body can't turn off. Mm. So all that panicked time at the beginning where I was just constantly checking to see, has it gone yet? Has it gone yet? Can I get back to work yet? Has it gone yet? That in itself may have set up a system... A loop that I'm now trapped in. The symptoms were just getting worse. So I decided to stop performing. And at that point, I was completely lost. If I'd been lost before, after the surgery, when I didn't know how I was going to live with these symptoms without having the kind of goal or the structure of I want to get back to work I really didn't know what to do I kind of I tried all sorts of things I I went traveling I joined various organizations did loads of meditation I tried several other careers I trained as an English teacher and thought I wanted to kind of join the NGO kind of circuit and worked in Thailand and Burma for a little bit but None of it kind of stuck. I've tried to kind of move sideways into several other, like teaching, assistant or several other professions. And I don't know, I just wasn't very good at them,
0: I don't think. But is it is it partly because pain management sort of goes hand in hand with fatigue, that actually it's, it's just hard to get the energy?
1: Yeah, it's hard to get the energy and it's hard to work in a context that you can't control, So like a nine to five is impossible for me. For me to go to an office for a nine to five is not possible.
0: And that's what your situation has really brought to your attention, isn't it? Is that other people who don't work with the kind of institutions that you do, artistic ones Mm. who, you know, perhaps aren't fulfilling all the obligations they should, but have a well-meaning tendency to support people. Mm. (laughs) People Mm. who do have nine to fives Mm. with chronic pain Mm. just are at the moment a kind of ignored disabled population
1: either suffering in silence or getting quite from from all the responses i've had recently from getting a lot of stick from co-workers about um needing to lie down or do some exercises or stretches yeah it pe- people choose different ways to manage chronic pain I- i've heard from some people who's who they pace very exactly and one person who responded to the survey that we did say said that they can work for 3.5 hours a day that's what they can do and then the rest of the time they're at home resting Mm. and that's what they've chosen i want other things in my life so I'm not prepared to do 3.5 hours for somebody else in an office and then have nothing outside of that I did that for a while when I was doing teaching assistant, and then when I got home I would just be flat for the rest of the evening and I had very little social life I had no art or culture or anything like that in my life at that time it was very very bare stripped down but people make different choices
0: and one of the biggest challenges you found is trying to find places in public mm. to lie down. Mm. Talk me through that.
1: So often people don't go out because they're worried that there will be nowhere for them to rest. And at one point, I just decided that I wanted to be in the world. So I was going to need to find a way. And I did manage to turn it into a game for myself, as in what, well, you know, trying to find the best places to lie down while I'm while I'm out and in about the, in the world, trying to map that
0: What do you mean, turn it into a game? What would the alternative be?
1: Uh, The alternative would be to apologise for lying down in public, to not lie down in public, or to to try and find places to hide where I could do it, where people Mm. wouldn't find me. So I've gotten quite bold about saying I have a condition... I need to lie down. Do you
0: mind? Or else just doing it? What kind of places are you talking about? I
1: mean, if I'm out and about in the world, and I'm going, to, I'm probably going to a meeting, I'll make sure it's in a cafe where they have benches, or more often, make sure it's near an arts venue where I know there is a reading room or somewhere, a sofa, a particular alcove where I know I can lie down.
0: And you need to be completely horizontal?
1: For me to really rest, I need to be completely horizontal in semi-supine, which is when you're lying on the floor and you've got your knees bent. Knees bent. Feet on the floor. So
0: basically like childbirth position, but without your legs spread out, basically. Kind of, yeah. yeah. So that's, I mean, (laughs) the reason I say that is it's obtrusive, isn't it? It's not even as subtle was lying down flat <laughs> lying down flat yeah 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 for me People lying down notice. flat is painful yeah
1: yeah so i so i do yes i i'm careful to not wear skirts and, yeah, sure. and lie down and uh and but
0: how do the public respond it's, you're lying down in a cafe i'm, I'm in a cafe having a cappuccino yeah. you're on the table next to me lying down in that position with your legs
1: so generally if that happens i'm probably with someone Mm -hmm. so and we we allow uh very different things of couples or groups of people it has happened that i've been lying down with my partner in a restaurant in a very very quiet restaurant and we're say waiting to go on somewhere else and i know i need a little lie down before we head off and staff have come over and said it's not appropriate please don't lie down and i've explained and then they've sort of suggested somewhere else where i might lie down yeah that's happened
0: and how does that feel because on the one hand they're actually Mm. trying to be considerate Mm. on the other hand what they are saying is you are embarrassing us yeah
1: it all it always feels shameful if i'm honest it always feels like you're being told off and you're doing something you shouldn't do the words that seem to work best is i have i have a condition or i have an invisible disability even though that might not be the language that i choose to to describe myself as those are the ones that people understand as soon as you say disability people behave differently
0: why because of compassion or because they're worried about lawsuits
1: um i think because of political correctness you can't really argue with someone when they're saying they they're disabled no one wants or they have to say they're anti-disabled people yeah. yeah yeah even though the social model of disability talks about like we well, are only disabled if you're in environments where your needs haven't been considered so actually it's the built environment that disables me no. not my condition but that's too complicated to explain to someone in that moment when you just need, well, you just need them to be open. Yeah. I remember you saying um, to the
0: bloke in Byron, let me talk to you about the social model of this. Yeah, disability. exactly. Just
1: uh, <laughs> give me three minutes of your time and, uh, and, and I'll change the way you see the world. Yeah. Um, so that's what I generally tend to say, that I have an invisible disability and I need to lie down. And is that okay?
0: It's interesting what you say about people will allow groups to do things differently to individuals. Uh, that's true. When you're by yourself. When I'm by myself. someone tuts. Well, so, says, why are you
4: lying down? Yeah,
1: when I'm by myself, I, 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 I generally don't lie down by myself in a cafe. I'll lie down. Another day is here
4: and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check.
1: Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of
2: America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centres or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank
1: of America and a member FDSE. By myself in an arts venue or in a theatre, I feel much safer doing that. Um, I wouldn't do it in a cafe, sometimes libraries, sometimes churches. The place that I get the most stick is on trains because there some seems to be something about me lying down on on a train, taking up more than one seat mm. that really, really knocks people. And people oh, have been I feel
0: so sorry for the people that tut at you though, because then when you do say, Oh, I've got an invisible disability, they're gonna they think that they're doing the right thing, don't they? They, they think they're representing the little guy.
1: I think we generally Like to police other people in our public spaces. And I don't know if that's a kind of uh, right on political correctness English thing. I don't know. Maybe, but people have been rude to me when I've been lying down in front of my partner's children, which is not a great model of how to be compassionate to other people. But
0: of course they have, because they just see a woman who looks healthy (laughs) and in her 30s or early 40s now lying down. Yeah on two seats, three seats on a yeah, train. Yeah, three seats sometimes, yeah. And if they I just get think three seats. It's what brilliant. you're being oafish, basically. Yeah,
1: I think it's I think they see it as disrespectful. Yeah. Um and so generally people tut, say things like oh, this one happened quite recently. There was it was quite a busy train and I it was down from London to Brighton. We were opening a show in February so we were doing later nights in the theater and I really I really had to lie down. I wasn't going to make it but it was quite a busy train and the mother and daughter came and sat opposite and said, oh, you know, take care of yourself. Take, you know, take all three seats. Why don't you? Yeah. And the, 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 the tricky thing is that when someone said something like that, when you come back and say, I have an invisible disability, this is why it really helps if I can lie down for a bit. This is why I'm doing it. They then get defensive because then they feel like they've been in the wrong. Yes. So then she said something like, All right, all right, you don't have to explain yourself. It's a really tricky thing to negotiate.
0: But I. And of course, you do have to explain yourself because no one else is there to do it for you. Yeah. Exactly. There's no way, is that you can't hold up a sign?
1: No, I mean I've got this wristband now that says "Differently Normal," and I've got a little keyring that 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 explains that sometimes I need to lie down. It's got a, a you know, have a look. A, yeah, it's a little laminated. It's really good. You can read out if you like.
0: Sometimes I lie down to manage a medical condition, and then it's got a picture of a stick lady lying down with her leg in the air, like you described. <laughs> it may be unconventional, but it means I can do things that I otherwise wouldn't be able to. If I lie down, don't worry. It is my normal. So you show that to someone.
1: What I've tried to do is when I'm lying down, I've tried to leave it somewhere where you could see it, but it hasn't, so far, I have to admit, it hasn't really worked. So far, people have still, you know, but uh, yeah, conductors have still sort of, yeah, told me to sit up and basically told me to behave myself. And I have lots of stories. We've collected lots of stories about people being basically told to behave themselves by other people in public spaces. One awful story of a lady in the V&A, Going to the VNA, she'd just come out of a really bad chronic pain flare-up. Asked if she could lie down for a rest, and then some some older people who were also at the at the VNA came and sat right by her, so that they were touching. One was touching her head pretty much, and the other older man stood so close to her that if she turned her head, she, her face would have been in his crutch. So they did that for about five minutes until she felt so uncomfortable that she sat up, and then they left. They didn't need to sit down there. It wasn't that they wanted to sit there. They just saw a younger woman not behaving herself, I guess. I'm assuming.
0: on aeroplane travel, you can actually throw money at the problem, can't you, if you can afford it and get yourself a business class seat? Yeah. But there isn't actually even that option on a train. You have. There is nowhere to where you can actually lie down unless you take up more than one seat. Yeah. There's not a. The system has no solution for you.
1: No, we're a vertical culture. And I'm assuming because that means you can get more people on it and it's cheaper.
0: Yeah, but you can get a wheelchair on the train, but you can't lie down. I mean, yeah. I've never really thought about it before, but you can't.
1: No, you can't. Unless so is you that take a change you'd like to see then? I, I would. I would like to see rest spaces where I could turn up in a city that I don't know and never be more than 20 minutes from a rest in space 20 minutes for somewhere where I am welcome to rest and that's something that I'm trying to create with the rest in spaces network which is a group of venues theaters cinemas independent cinemas galleries that are up for it that are that are kind of Part of the conversation at the moment, and we're talking about really simple, low-tech solutions for how you could invite uh, an audience who who have hidden conditions. Also, some of them are beautiful ideas that people have suggested that would be lovely things, not just for people with a condition. So, it's been suggested that you have twilight viewings of an exhibition where everybody can lie down on the floor and the paintings are hung to be seen from that point, and you have like a candlelight kind of exhibition, which would just be a beautiful exhibition yeah whether you have a condition or not it would be a different way to experience something uh, we have a kind of quite a few people have been in touch because galleries we have this tradition now of galleries being very open spaces with no seats at all yeah where you're just free to kind of walk around and for a lot of people that means that they can't go to the, the spaces or they've tried to go and they've maybe sat on the floor to look at a painting and they've been told they're not allowed to sit on the floor. And one lady who said she went to see an exhibition and because she couldn't sit on the floor, she had to go back to the reception every five minutes or ten minutes to go and rest there and then go and see another piece of art. And I'm amazed that she persevered because I don't think I would have.
0: I had a chat with an architect once about public spaces or quasi-public spaces, on what were actually privately owned gardens outside a skyscraper or outside a development that he was building. And he'd said that he wanted to put more, I don't think he mentioned beds, but he wanted mm. to put more chairs and benches for people. Mm. And the reason that he hadn't put them in the plans was because the council or the developer or the owner had said, that's going to encourage vagrants. Mm-hmm. Is that something you run into?
1: I think a lot of the time when people get nervous about me lying down, it's because I've taken off my shoes. I've made myself comfortable and it might look like I'm bedding out. So yeah. I think that is definitely something I wrap up, up against. Also, a lot of the spaces that we take to be public aren't public spaces. They're kind of corporately owned. Yeah. And like you say, they don't want to encourage people to spend more time there than necessary.
0: But it really highlights that, doesn't it? Mm. Like, I mean, actually, there's presumably nothing wrong with you lying down in Regent's Park, but in Canary Wharf, you're not supposed to, uh, and that's yeah. not a very attractive quality of Canary Wharf.
1: No, exactly. I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I think I'd stay clear of Canary Wharf. Um, but so I suppose, so I suppose theatres to me seem to be the the kind of perfect place to create such a resting space. Partly because they're kind of they're places that are playing with different etiquette anyway because they are you know they're they're creating theatre and experiences that are different and hopefully eye-opening and mind expanding Um, but generally they're busy during the nights and they're less busy during the days during the day often they're virtually empty so why not co-opt them as spaces that people can use where they're not just welcome that they've been considered that they're told very clearly from the messages of the venue that you belong because I think that's what a lot of people with chronic pain, I just feel like there's lots of spaces where I feel like I don't belong and I'm not welcome.
0: And there's a euphemism that you've invented for lying mm. down a lot mm.
1: Cloud Spotter. So for me, that speaks very clearly of the horizontal needs and fatigue of somebody with chronic pain, which means that I need to lie down a lot. But also, I am a genuine Cloud Spotter. I do love Cloud Spotting. There is something about that that even helps reset pain levels. It's quite a meditative thing to do.
0: Yeah, it speaks to the fact that it's it doesn't have to all be grim. I mean, you're lying mm. down to recover from pain. Mm. But looking up at the sky, taking a moment out of your day to do that is something that everyone could do and can be quite a beautiful thing to do.
1: Definitely. I mean, I'm quite careful. People have suggested to me quite a lot, oh, well, you know, rest in so that you're more productive. That is a, you know, we kind of understand that in our culture. And I'm really trying to ring fence it as re- rest being... A good thing to do in and of itself, not so that it makes you more productive or more creative or more anything, just it's a good thing to do, full stop. You know, can we fathom, can we even contemplate that in our current culture, that stopping, resting is just good?
0: So you seem to have found some sort of mission, I guess, out of your circumstances. Mm, yeah. But presumably you'd rather you weren't in these circumstances.
1: Absolutely. And, it, and it's tricky. I really want to resist that. I do feel like I have a core purpose now. I want to, really want to resist the sense that I've come out of it. I've kind of waded through those dark years and now come out with some kind of mission.
0: Um, Resist it, why? Because it feels like a cliche. It feels like a cliche and it feels like... Disabled people doing heroic things. Yeah,
1: and it feels like disabled people are only allowed one of three narratives. Disability is tragic or disability gives you some kind of mission or sixth sense or about how you should live life and some kind of epiphany or enlightenment. The other one is conquering disability, of course. That's the one we really like. Paralympics. Yeah, three acts, exactly. You have, as you were before, you have the challenge, you overcome it and you go on to do great things. Um, And I really want to resist that because for most people... For most disabled people, that is not a true narrative mm. and it's not a possible narrative. That's why I want to resist it because it's not like I've come through something and now everything's peachy.
0: It's No, you're developing something. You're developing a network of spaces to help people actually just carry on with the mundanity of coping with disability. Well,
1: hopefully just to open their worlds a little bit yeah. because those worlds shrink. I think what you lose a lot in disability or in illness is it's very hard to hold on to your dignity and hopefully a network of resting spaces will help people feel considered and help them have dignity when they are trying to access art and the spaces where normal things happen. What I'm hoping is for myself say that there's one film in the independent cinema's season where I can lie down to watch a film and then me and my boyfriend don't have to have a discussion about is it too much to go to cinema tonight, you know, in the week is what am I doing that day, too many meetings no, won't be able to do it, when I can just go I can definitely go to that because I know no matter what I've done that day I can lie down
0: so they have a baby screening and they have a senior screening. They should have a cloud spot. Why
1: not? I just read recently that they did, they've just trialled at the Picture House in London having screenings where you can come with your dog and they give you dog blankets and bowls for people who are so attached to their pets that they, they, they want to go out with them. If we can do that as a society, we can definitely make cloud spotting screenings. We should do at least that.
0: Raquel Messaguer. And you can express an interest in helping establish her proposed network of resting spaces at unchartedcollective.com. Still to come, our Record of the Week, and Alex Fox is up next, after this. Time for a fumble, a rumble and a tumble with Alex Fox. It's the foxhole. How are you?
3: Hey there, Ollie. Hi. I am full of caffeine, but regrettably less full of peen, which is why this week I have... You've been given... flicking the bean? <laughs> no, in fact... Come on, I... that
0: wasn't bad for an ad-lib.
3: That was excellent, Ollie. <laughs> but I've actually given my, myself a whole new reason to have a sore finger by swiping left and right on the dating apps again.
0: Okay. Now
3: I'm not a huge fan of dating apps. Why? Um, I prefer to re- meet people in real life. I think you can just gauge more about a person face-to-face and mm. get more of a sense about whether they are your cup of tea. And I've done lots of things to try and increase um, the amount that I meet people, IRL, even down to ordering some little cards from Etsy that are like cute little, they kind of look like business cards but they've got sweet slogans on and mm-hmm. carrying a pen with me at all times so that I can give my number to uh, attractive people that I see on the tube and stuff like that.
0: And the idea of handwriting that down is because it looks more spontaneous than having a printed quasi-business card with the same function.
3: Yes, which looks creepy. Okay, good. <laughs> There's a fine line between these things sometimes. We're all learning. So I, I do, I am, I am actively trying to meet people face-to-face Uh, in places other than the internet but uh, as a busy busy person I am more busy and buzzy than your average bumblebee hive I there are limited amounts of time I have to go out and and try and um, fraternize with the general public so I do find that sometimes going on dating apps is an efficient way of meeting lots of people who are single and ready to mingle.
0: Okay, so what do, what is your preferred app of choice?
3: Well, I'm currently on Bumble.
0: Ah, now that's the one that supposedly women have more of a say in, right?
3: If you're matched with somebody, then it, the woman has to speak first. So right. if you change your mind for whatever reason, then you, you don't you don't have to enter into that conversation. Of course, it doesn't stop people from sending spontaneous dick pics or being dicks. But just
0: by definition, presumably, if you're someone who would send a dick pic, you know, at the first opportunity, you probably wouldn't sign up to Bumble as a man. No,
3: it does tend to have a slightly higher caliber of gentleman. or of a them. stealth weirdo. Yeah, <laughs> I, That's precisely <laughs> the kind of person I'm slowly. looking for. <laughs> stealth weirdo, marry me now. The thing that makes me feel like I'd rather be fapping instead of apping and just pleasing myself is that apps often to me feel like more of the same work and the same obligations that I already have a lot of in my business day. It's more essentially interviewing strangers about their lives, which is what I do for a living. Uh, It's more um, demands from my mobile phone and from my screen, which I feel inundated with already. And you can probably hear it in my voice, Ollie. The whole idea of apps just makes me feel a bit angsty, Mm. a bit cynical, and a bit Down. And I identified that because I was having these feelings before I'd even opened the damn thing, Mm. I wasn't bringing my best self. I had entered what I call the Tinder trance, where you're just swiping thoughtlessly. You know, you. you're moody, you're not expecting to meet anyone decent on there, so you're just pouring away at your screen, dismissing everybody without really being mindful and I think you can you think you can miss people mm. if you're just doing that, so I've been actively trying this week to try and practice some of what I preach, and to that end, Ollie, because I am me. I have invented some terms to help keep this, the positive behaviour in my mind. Excellent. Do you want to learn these new words? Yes, please. Okay, the first one is being compassionate. (laughs) This means exercising compassion when you're pushing buttons. Because I... I will fully admit that um, I now live with a guy who's dyslexic and I've actually dated several people who are dyslexic uh, and who were wildly creative thinkers and incredibly intelligent people Uh, and that's made me more aware that a lot of apps encourage us to assess and judge people on their communication skills Mm. via text which for some people if they have dyslexia for example isn't their strong point or they might just be in a rush or in a meeting or using public transport and desperately trying to plonk out a message whilst they're on the 96 at the same time. Okay. So I'm trying to be compassionate and remember that people will have other things in their lives that might mean that the messages they're sending aren't always the best of themselves.
0: And what other term have you got for us?
3: Deserting. When I desert a date at the end of the night, when I leave them, I am trying to plan something sweet waiting for me, so that however well or badly the date has gone, I know I have the power to cheer myself up. And this only has to be something small, like I've got a Spotify playlist of songs that really raise my energy levels Mm -hmm. and make me want to, you know, I can't fail to skip along the street like an idiot when they're playing. Or I might have bought myself a little bubble bath or bought myself something nice to eat when I get. Home or encourage my friends to send me ridiculous memes or in jokes, so I've got lots of things to cheer me up. And I've found that that is also a good thing to do, even if I've gone on a date that's gone really well, because it helps me feel less like my mood is completely dependent Mm. upon what somebody else has brought to the table.
0: That's some great advice. Uh, Well, uh, one of the places, of course, where you can always buy something that will make you. Uh, feel sweet and happy when you return home is mycondom.com
3: who put all of their products through extremely rigorous testing. Do they? Yep. CE quality marked, pinhole tested, dermologically tested, individually electronically tested, tensile tested, airburst tested, water leakage tested.
0: Pinhole tested? They don't literally put a drawing pin through the end of a condom, do they?
3: (laughs) No, thankfully not. It means that one by one, every condom is electronically tested to see whether it has any microscopic pinholes in it. Mm. They do it by popping it over a sort of metal phallic shape uh, and then sending it through an electrical field that checks whether there are any uh, abrasions or damages in the latex covering it
0: well my condom have sponsored our listener question for the week and it's from andy who says alex what is tantric sex how do you do it and what is it supposed to do and do you have any suggestions for how i could get into it
3: it's all about being conscious, being mindful about living in the present moment and really being aware of everything that's happening to you, if you're with a partner, with your partner, and, and being very, very, living very vividly in that moment. The second thing uh, that Tantra says is that everybody has the right to experience Ecstasy. It places great emphasis on ecstatic sensations and feelings. Now, this is very different from the feelings of adrenaline, that sort of short, sharp rush that you might get from a standard orgasm or um, that that minute moment of elation in an otherwise sweaty, thrusty session. Tantra encourages people to embrace the ecstatic nature of an entire experience, Mm. make everything about sex, from the beginning to the end and beyond, all about reaching a higher state of consciousness and a higher bodily and spiritual sensation. It's, it's funny, a very isn't it? spiritual if you, thing.
0: If you take away some of the philosophical language and concepts, actually it's not that different to what you've been telling us across numerous weeks and actually what I know and lots of people know from personal experience was your sex is better if it isn't focused on the orgasm at the end, basically. That's I mean, it's absolutely about paying true. attention all the way through, isn't it?
3: Yeah, sure. Tantra, though, perhaps places more emphasis on that and it helps people reach that... Um, that consciousness via particular practices, one of which is being really hyper-aware of your breathing. Mm. So this is in order to help people relax, to help focus on their mind and their body. You might hear people talking about chakras, or these are focal points or so-called energy centres in the body.
0: So is it anything to do with endurance? because the one thing that everyone knows or everyone thinks they know about the sting thing was that what he was essentially saying when he said it to a magazine journalist 20 years ago that he did tantric sex was me and Trudy Styler, we have sex all night long. That was sort of the implication of it. Does it last longer?
3: Tantra can help men and women and people of all genders to last longer in bed, yes, um, it does this via a variety of ways. For a start, it encourages people not to see sexual um, sensations and climaxes as originating solely from their genitals, mm. but to appreciate sensation in their whole body. So men might start to experience orgasmic feelings in places other than their their penis. Uh, they might experience whole body orgasms, or they might be able to shift their awareness of where. They're feeling pleasure all around their bodies
0: Very much takes two to Tantra then doesn't it?
3: No not necessarily really? Yeah, I, I can't so, be
0: focusing on my breathing whilst my wife isn't aware that that's what's going on. Oh
3: I see what you mean I was going to say you can practice Tantra on your own. Oh sure yeah. One of the two big myths so two, what I see is two main myths about Tantra. The first is that it always has to last a long time. Mm. Now while it can help you uh, enjoy great long enormous extended sex sessions, should you wish, it It is also possible to have a tantric quickie once you've established the mental processes that get you in that frame of mind. Mm -hmm. And secondly, tantra doesn't have to be practised between two people. It can be practised amongst many or you can practise it on your own.
0: But if you want to have Tantric sex, then you need to both be doing it, don't you? It can't be just something you're practicing whilst the other person is unaware that that's what you're doing.
3: You could bring in some elements of tantric practice into the way that you are making love to somebody without them being aware of it, but it is designed for everybody involved in sex mm. to be on the same plane, to feel that connectedness.
0: I mean, so the, the clue basically is if your partner suddenly starts writing fields of gold during sex. <laughs> you know, that's what they've been thinking about.
3: Now, a word of warning because tantra is intersects with spirituality some of its teachings in some of the um, strata of tantra if you will do come from certain gurus Uh, in fact one in particular is called osho also known as Bhagwan rajnish who if anyone is watching wild wild country the story of the um, sex cults on netflix yeah yeah it is him It is from him i would like to emphasize that there's lots of great teachings in tantra but you are completely allowed to take what works for you and you do not have to buy in hook, line and sinker to the whole shebang in order to improve your banging. So with that in mind, I'd like to recommend a brilliant book by a woman called Barbara Karellas. I'm actually re-listening to the audio version now, and it's, been, it's, it's a fairly old book, but it's been updated. It's called Urban Tantra. It gives you an overview of Tantra. It gives you some really entertaining stories about it. It's very easy to get into.
0: And some practical techniques. And
3: lots and lots of practical yeah. techniques. And most importantly... It's quite
0: conceptual, isn't it? It can be quite hard to actually just start doing it, I imagine.
3: Well, this is Tantra without... A lot of the wiki wiki woo wah hipster hippie bullshit that puts a lot of people off. You can do the candles and the ostrich feathers and the batik wall hangings and whatnot if you want to, but those things are not necessary for Tantra. And neither is a lot of the hippie guru crap that that goes with it a lot of the time. There's some really interesting things discussed in the book, actually. Barbara chats about how uh, people who are asexual, who we've we've talked about before, folks who don't have any desire to be sexual with another person, can still benefit from Tantra because it places emphasis on the whole body. Um, She also talks about how men are often told to think of something gross and off-putting in order to stop them themselves from ejaculating and you know Told
0: or develop that skill by themselves
3: <laughs> well Barbara argues that the opposite is true that if you're really aware of what's happening and you're you've managed to hone your ability to live in the moment that that can actually be even more effective at prolonging your ability to put off an ejaculation how? while still allowing how, you how would that work Well, it's about being aware of when you're coming up to ejaculation and maybe shifting that energy elsewhere in your body, Mm. focusing on another point of pleasure. If you're someone who is in a relationship and want to give this a try tonight, then Rebecca Lowry, who is a teacher from selfalchemy.com, tells me that one of the simplest easiest ways uh, to get into tantra is just to learn to be present to notice your breathing focusing your breath in and focusing on your breath out just for a minute or two and that sounds so dismissively simple doesn't Mm. it but how many of us really do that before we start making love how many of us really spend a couple of moments being in our bodies that way and just breathing together uh key and again i think
0: very often it's because the switch gets flicked isn't it like, you know, the, the the routine of sexual contact is something that you find yourself going through the motions with. Like, you oh, we're doing this now. There's not, you know, as you so often say, there hasn't been a thoughtful discussion beforehand. You know, suddenly it's happening. And so a lot of these things don't, you know, you're just in it, aren't you? you and at that point, it's a bit weird to say, let's stop. Let's take a breather. Let's sit and focus on our breathing. Let's think about spirituality. I mean, that's a bit weird.
3: Well, this is why, for many people, a big part of Tantra is ritual. And the word mm. ritual scares a lot of people. They think they're going to have to chop the head off a crow and nail it to the ceiling. But by ritual, what a lot of Tantric practitioners mean is a little routine that you do with your partner or by yourself in order to get your head in the right place before you start doing things with your body Uh, I spoke to another woman called Amanda Gaylove and she suggested an exercise that you can do on your own or with a partner which is called kiss your genitals Mm
4: -hmm. it
3: does not require you to actually do that Mm because you need to be a lot more significantly flexible than I am this involves sitting together or on your bilio And just slowing your breath to a conscious pace, breathing in and out a little bit more fully and deeply every time. So every time you take an in-breath, just try and make it go a little bit deeper in your body. Some people find it useful to count, so count. So in, one, two, three, out one, two, three and try and breathe right down to your genitals some people aim their breath at the perineum so that space in between the anus and whatever genitals you happen to have at the front, that central point of sensuality as they see it Uh, and she says don't put any pressure on yourself don't force yourself don't rush yourself just let your breath go deeper all the way down and imagine that your breath is gently giving a kiss to the inside of your genitals each time you fill your lungs uh, and allow that whole kind of charge to, to flow over you might want to clench your pelvic floor and see how that feels but yeah a lot of it is about breathing
0: there you go I, I, I'm I not told a lot that I talk out of my ass. I didn't realise I could breathe out of it too <laughs> uh, <laughs> if you have a question of sex for next week's show what do you need to do with it
3: hop skip and jump on over to the modern man website and click feedback
0: and when you finish breathing through your perineum and you want to wear some protection in that area uh you can buy that from mycondom.com
3: and if you use the code foxhole f-o-x-h-o-l-e then you can get 15 percent off everything on the site
0: well, that is nearly it for this week's Modern Man, but there is just time to appoint a new ambassador. It's Tim in Whitechapel, who sent us £15 via PayPal. Thank you, Tim, PayPal.me slash Modern Man. He says, Ollie, I've lost count of the amount of times I've laughed aloud on the tube or walking down the street to your show. Particularly as I am a huge fan of shit puns to the foxhole section. You are now a weekly tradition for me. Do you have room? For a disco-loving ambassador based in Whitechapel. Uh, apparently we do, Tim. Congratulations. And um, uh, talking of music, our theme is by Django Django. They're currently on a US tour. Catch them if you can. And here is our record of the week. It's by Toronto-based band Bernice. It's called Glue and it's available to stream now. I've been Ollie Mann, the producer, Matt Hill, and we'll see you next Tuesday. South to Retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History?
1: Well, on Tuesday, we head to the battlefields of medieval Spain to witness the very first ambulance.
0: On Wednesday, it's the anniversary of the day Coca-Cola's creator hit on his winning formula. He dropped the wine, but kept the cocaine.
1: On Thursday, the thief who stuffed the crown jewels
0: down his trousers. And on Friday, when free-spirited Danish parenting put 90s New York in a tears. We discuss this and more on Today in History with The Retrospectors. 10 minutes every weekday, wherever you get your podcasts.